You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Fasting. It's one of the best biohacks because there are so many benefits to your body and it doesn't even cost anything. Fasting can help you live longer, increase your brain power, and even turn back your biological age because it induces something called autophagy. Autophagy swaps out old or damaged parts of your cells with fresh new ones. There is now an awesome product called Spermidine Life that actually tricks your body into thinking it's fasting, which triggers autophagy without any actual fasting required. Spermidine Life is extracted from non-GMO plants and it's super clean. Fast, smarter, not harder. Add Spermidine Life to your stack today, whether or not you practice intermittent fasting. Go to spermidinelife.us, use code ASPRI25 for 25% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Dave Asprey with Bulletproof Radio. Today's cool fact of the day is that all people have about the same number of sweat glands when they're born, but in the first few years of your life, based on the temperature of the air around you, your body determines the optimal number of sweat glands, and that's the number you're going to have for the rest of your life. That means if you grew up in the desert like I did, you're probably going to have a few more sweat glands than like the average person. And if you grew up, say, in the Arctic, you're probably not going to sweat very much. I don't know that you can hack the number of sweat glands you have, and I don't know that you even want to because your sweat glands also help you detox. But it's kind of cool that the environment programs your body that's kind of a big thing. It also means that if you don't have sweaty kids and you live in a hot environment, maybe you should like put them in a cryotherapy chamber every now and then. There's no evidence for that, but it's a cool idea, right? If your everyday routine looks like mine used to, it includes some bloating and gas, trouble losing weight, digestive issues, and probably microbial imbalances. When I learned that my gut microbiome was directly linked to all that stuff going on, I knew I had to do something, but it was hard to know what to do. And that's how I found out about Viome and the Viome Full Body Intelligence Test. Viome stands out because it uses gene expression analysis, which is RNA, instead of DNA to figure out what my body needs. They even use information they learn about you to create 100% custom formulated supplements and personalized probiotics just for you. Viome gave me the information I needed to really upgrade my health. I've known the team at Viome for almost 10 years and worked with them on their recommendations it's real science. Now, you can give it a try, too. Go to Viome.com slash Dave and save $110 on the full body intelligence test. Today's guest, and I'm not really sure how we're editing this, so we'll figure this out on the fly, but today's guest, sitting next to me, looking lovely, is Isabella Wentz. If you are a longtime listener, you've already heard one podcast with Isabella and if you're watching on YouTube, you'll notice that we're at the new studio, the Bulletproof Biohacking Labs in my backyard. And Isabel is sitting here next to me. She is not on Skype. So this is going to be an amazing interview. Isabel is a pharmacist and like a major expert in Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which means really she's an expert in energy systems in the body because your thyroid is what drives energy in the body. So Isabella, thank you for coming up to Vancouver Island to visit me. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Dave. It's been so much fun biohacking this weekend. We actually spent all yesterday like doing weird stuff. Uh, what was your favorite thing that you did yesterday? I really like the float tank. That was a lot of fun. The float tank? Cool. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of funny because I realized we didn't have like the proper shampoo and conditioner available for you when you got out because for people who haven't done a float tank, what you're doing is you're actually floating in water where there's a thousand pounds of Epsom salt dissolved so that the Epsom salt like pushes underneath you and keeps you afloat. Did you have a hard time sinking? No, I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to, you know, stay afloat. I thought I would sink <laughs> down to the bottom, but it, it yeah, it's, it kept me up. It, it really <laughs> does, like, push you up. And what experiences did you have when you were sort of 
just in this dark cocoon-like thing with no, really no sound, no light, uh, just like no sensory input at all. What, what did you experience? Just a profound sense of relaxation. So I just, um, I came from a flight and I was a little bit tired and, and it just was rejuvenating, completely relaxing. And I came out and I felt like I had just taken, you know, an eight hour nap. And wow. was, I woke, I came out of it bright eyed and bushy tailed, but at the same time really relaxed. So it was a perfect combination. Now, as a, a pharmacist, uh, what happens when you expose your skin to lots of magnesium sulfate, which is Epsom salt? You know, if, if you do too much of it, you mm-hmm. can have problems, but definitely just swimming in it, you get a lot of magnesium absorbed through the skin, which is really, really nice and nice and calming and relaxing. And mm-hmm. most people are actually deficient in magnesium, so um, a big root cause for headaches and feeling stressed out. So that could have been some of the reason it felt calm for you, right? For sure, for sure. Uh, it's, it's one of those technologies that I think most people haven't really heard about, uh, but you know, if you're going to go spend an hour getting a massage... Maybe if you were going to spend an hour in a float tank, like there's such different modalities, but do you think that, that there's a, a case for the average person doing it occasionally, or is it just kind of too out there? And it's okay to answer. Oh my, I think I would absolutely do it if you had access to it. So I know a lot of cities yeah. are coming up with float tanks and different mm-hmm. types of facilities where you can go and um, get a floating session. I would, I would highly recommend it instead of doing a massage. You know, it's something completely different. It's a different type of relaxation than when you come yeah. up from a massage. One of the things about it, and this isn't actually our topic for today, but we're just talking because we did all sorts of biohacking yesterday, is that when people get PTSD, and a lot of people have little things, it's not like they're like, I'm unable to function, but it means that you get these massive triggers that make no sense from some things, like flying or mm-hmm. heights or something else. And there's some trauma, and your nervous system got programmed that way, and your amygdala is overactive for that situation. There's studies about floating where people do it, and and it's such a calming experience that the amygdala can calm down when you do it repeatedly. So they've been even treating some vets with PTSD who are sort of the, the hard cases for that because they have such big trauma. Uh, and they're finding results. So I, I've found just, I don't know, some kind of peace that comes from being mm-hmm. in that womb-like environment. I, yeah, I could totally see that. I could totally see how that would help anybody. I came with... Um you know, I came from a long trip and I was a little bit tired and just kind of like antsy, wasn't sure where I was. And it just was totally chill and relaxed. Okay, right so after. it worked for you. Oh, absolutely. And you skipped the cryotherapy, which is kind of the opposite of that, like 270 degrees below zero versus like nice warm water just floating. <laughs> so I think that might have been a good call. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. For sure. Well, let's get into some stuff about your, your latest work on Hashimoto's. And for, for people listening... Hashimoto's is really, really common. And the reason we're talking about this is that even if you don't have an autoimmune thing here, there's so much for you to learn about because this is really common. It's affecting people around you. But also, this is a regulatory system for the body, and you can learn how to hack it. So we're going to push Isabella's knowledge here and see if we can like trick her up on stuff. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, don't get nervous. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> on, uh, on that front, Okay, define Hashimoto's. I know we did in our last podcast, mm-hmm. we did that, but a lot of people didn't hear that. So it's like, what is Hashimoto's and how common is it? So Hashimoto's sounds like an exotic condition, like a Japanese sword fighter or something, but it's, it's actually quite a common condition. It was um, discovered over 100 years ago by a Japanese physician, hence the name. But what it is, it's basically an autoimmune attack of the thyroid gland. And in, what's happening in Hashimoto's is our immune system begins to attack the thyroid gland as though it was a virus or bacteria or something that's not supposed to be there. Eventually, this leads to a breakdown of thyroid tissue, resulting in hypothyroidism or an underactive thyroid, where you see a lot of people having, you know, the biggest symptoms are going to be fatigue and weight gain, but hair loss and, you know, just feeling depressed can happen. A lot of different things can happen when you have an underactive thyroid. And it's actually a very, very common condition. So, you know, depending on what study you will look at, the estimate rates will say anywhere from 1% to 5%. But all of the recent studies are saying, yeah, it's actually more like 5 to 24% of the population that wow. can be affected with Hashimoto's. We're not necessarily getting tested for it. And the tests that we have are not always the best ones and not always the most accurate ones for Hashimoto's. So lots of people have all kinds of stuff wrong with them. They don't know anything about mm-hmm. it. And if you had Hashimoto's, what are you going to feel? Oh, man. So... I have, a, I have like a slide of what it feels like to have Hashimoto's. And when you think about it, a, a lot of times 
the thyroid is our body's metabolism gland. So it, it runs our whole temperature setting and metabolism in, throughout our whole body. And every single cell in our body has thyroid receptors. So when you're deficient in thyroid hormone, you're going to have problems across the board. So people with Hashimoto's will feel really, really tired. And it's not like, um, you know, after you've had a long day and you just get tired and you want to go to bed. It's like, I don't want to get out of bed and do anything with my life tired. It's like apathy. Like I used to be motivated, but now I don't even want to do anything with my life. I'd rather just take a nap. Like everything's a struggle, right? Everything is a struggle. Everything is tough. Um, people, you know, people are asking too many things of you. You know, you get to the point where some people will actually experience anxiety and panic attacks, especially in the early phases, because what's happening is as the thyroid gland is under attack, you start getting dumps of thyroid hormone to your bloodstream, which can shoot up your thyroid hormone levels. So you're almost, um, some people have been misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder, wow. panic attacks, anxiety attacks. I've seen people hospitalized for, um, for psychotic disorders because the thyroid hormones can really mess with your emotions, put you on an emotional roller coaster. Um, you know, that's, you run out of thyroid hormones and then you become depressed. So yeah, so you can look like a, like a person with bipolar disorder because of those fluctuations. And then, you know, with your body, you might be cold intolerant, you know, you might have trouble losing weight or be putting on weight. So, you know, you can have a friend that's eating exactly as much as you are, exercising as much as you are. And because your thyroid is not working properly, you're going to just be putting on weight when Wait. they're going to be staying the same weight. Come on, Isabella. It's about calories in and calories out. Didn't you know that? Oh, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's what people hear from their doctors all the time as, yeah. as people will be going to their doctor, they'll say, hey, I'm not losing weight. My hair's falling out. I'm really tired. I'm really cold. You know, I'm, I'm feeling off. And then oftentimes the doctors will say, you need to eat less and exercise more. Yeah. Take this prescription for an antidepressant, you know, come back in a few months. And, and that's just unfortunate because a lot of times you, if you fi figure out the root causes of the condition, you could really help a person completely turn their life around and just feel like a brand new person. What happens when someone with a broken thyroid eats less and works out more? You know, it's, um, it's a common thing that we see. And a lot of times what is, um, you know, what, what's interesting about the thyroid gland, and, and I kind of have a theory about it, that it helps us. It's, a, it's basically, a, a you know, um, adaptive physiology. When you think about what the thyroid gland does, it helps to speed things up. It helps us be fertile. It helps us grow hair. It helps us turn over our skin and makes us look, you know, attractive and have us have lots of energy and all that great stuff. But when we're in a time when there's famine and when there's um, stress and scarcity and just not a lot of good things happening around in our environment, a lot of toxins and whatnot, it's not really a good time to reproduce, is it? Um, in, in my research on reproduction, no, famines and tigers make us less uh, willing and right. able to reproduce. Yeah. right. So um, my theory is that the thyroid is, is our body's way of shutting that down. So if you don't have enough food around, if you're not getting enough nutrients and calories from your environment, then you know it's probably not the best time to become pregnant and have a baby because that baby's chances of survival are not going to be the best. And, yeah. and you know they may have um, deficiencies which may predispose them to birth defects. So what's interesting is that people in Ireland are now genetically... Um, more predisposed to have Hashimoto's, and this is as a result of the potato famine. Because during the potato famine, those who had the genes for Hashimoto's were more likely to survive. Wow. Because they didn't burn as many calories, right? Because their metabolism just shut down, so they exactly. felt like crap. Exactly. They wanted to sleep all the time. They were cold, they didn't but they eat, didn't starve. They didn't starve. They didn't need to eat as much, and their body held on to all the calories. Wow. And so that's what's happening with... Um, basically with Hashimoto's is the thyroid slows down and we're holding on to many, many more calories. And if you do that to yourself purposefully, you, you know, you, let's say you stop eating a lot of calories and, you know, the, our, you know, evolutionary system didn't really, wasn't really familiar with dieting and then, you know, <laughs> treadmills, right? So you, you stop eating and then you get on a treadmill and what your body thinks is that there's no food around and that you're being chased by a tiger. And so then it shuts down your um, production of, you know, thyroid hormones even more. 
So it, it says conserve energy and says why waste en- energy producing sex hormones? You don't need that. You, know, you right. don't need your period. Let's yeah. survive. Let's yeah. work on survival. I'm going to hold on to everything you have. I'm going to do you a huge favor. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got some great fat stores on your body. Let's hold on to those so that you can survive. This historical thing about why, we, why we're wired the way we are, it, it's interesting. You said up to 24% of people have Hashimoto's or have the susceptibility to Hashimoto's or what was it, just have Hashimoto's, I think? You know, it's really, really interesting because looking at the different studies, we'll say anywhere from 5 to 25% actually have Hashimoto's. Okay. And there are different stages to Hashimoto's. So the stage one is going to be the genetic predisposition. So by, you know, for all intents and purposes, you're not going to have Hashimoto's. You just have the genes to develop it. You're not going to have changes consistent with Hashimoto's on your thyroid gland. You're not going to have the antibodies. You're not going to have the symptoms. Stage two goes into, you start seeing some changes in the thyroid gland, maybe some symptoms. Stage three goes into, you're developing thyroid antibodies. You have some subclinical issues. Stage four, you're looking at getting um, altered levels of thyroid hormones and profound symptoms. And at stage five, you're actually moving on to getting additional autoimmune conditions. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, for, for the genetic predisposition part, um, I saw one very interesting study from Eastern Europe. So people who were exposed to Chernobyl, which I was one of them. I used to live pretty close to the Ukrainian border in Poland. They were um, looking at rates of thyroid antibodies in children who were in close proximity to the Chernobyl incident and those who were in further proximity. And wow. those that were in closer proximity, about 80% of them actually had thyroid antibodies, which was wow. huge. And in a different part of um, the Ukraine, which was further removed from the Chernobyl incident, the rates were much, much lower, somewhere in the 20%. And, you know, Ukrainians hypothetically should be genetically similar. So, you know, my theory is that there are, you know, we we keep discovering new genes, right? We keep discovering these genes are responsible for this condition. And sure, there are genes that have been associated with Hashimoto's, but I think it is something that definitely turns on when there's a need for it. Okay. That's such a cool uh, way of thinking about it that it might have an evolutionary benefit, right? And it reminds you of one thing that's like more general and one thing that's kind of specific to me. So I had Hashimoto's, you did too, mm-hmm. which is why we're both kind of interested in this. But it's such a common thing that like I just come across it and people I talk to all the time, I'm like, oh, really? Like you have all the symptoms and then they get a test and lo and behold. Sure enough, yeah. You're like one in four. Okay, that's a big thing. Well, my... The grandparents met on the Manhattan Project, like building the bomb. And there's a story from my dad when he was still in the crib. My grandfather came home from Los Alamos labs and had um, plutonium uranium, some sort of highly radioactive bad stuff on him. And they found it because their particle detectors noticed that there was this. So they literally followed like footprints to go to his house, found it on the doorknob, found it all over my dad's crib, all over my dad's head, like scrub him down as a baby to get rid of all this radioactive stuff. So I'm like wondering, hmm, maybe that's related. Who knows? We'll never know. It's possible for sure. But the the other thing that, that made a lot of sense to me here is I also carry genes that one in about 20 or one in four, 28% of people have <laughs> that make us more susceptible to toxic mold. And this is the, the um, topic of moldy, the documentary. And those genes had an evolutionary benefit. I'm Northern European. The genes are widely distributed across different races, but... Mm-hmm. What we theorized they made you do was, okay, I'm ideal for basically getting on a horse, riding to a town full of people I don't know, basically plundering the town, getting shot by an arrow. So I'm not going to get sick when I go in and I'm exposed to all these things because my immune system is very aggressive. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to bleed to death from the arrow because my blood clots quickly. So that's evolutionary benefit. A thousand years of Northern European history, like, okay, like I'm kind of optimized for that. I'm like four and a half percent on Neanderthal even. Nice. Uh, the overhanging brow and all. Like, I, I could see that. Yeah. Uh, I'm 2% alien too. That's different. But It was more than 2%. <laughs> probably. That's the Roswell side of my family. But what what's interesting though is those genes that are of evolutionary benefit in times of famine or times of strife, now we're like, oh, look, here's something in the environment like this mold stuff or other things that piss off your immune system. It's like, okay, I'm going to take you down. So when it does that, it attacks your pituitary gland. It attacks your, your thyroid. And it does all sorts of other things to your body that, ne- that aren't necessarily of benefit, even though like, we don't want to breed those genes out of people because you know, when the zombie apocalypse comes, then we might not have the benefits of, of doing that. 
Exactly. And, you know, I'm always worried about the zombie apocalypse. And, you know, with Hashimoto's, I think I'll be good if, with having those genes because yeah. they can always turn on in case just I need in, to hide out case. for a little while. Yeah. And uh, you and I have been cross-training with throwing axes and crossbows and stuff like that as part of the biohacking, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, maybe not. Four out of four for me. <laughs> so... You've written a book, and I, I don't think we even talked about the title of the book yet, and we talked about it on the last podcast, but for people who are listening and realizing, okay, like this, this is an interesting topic. Um, I've read a lot about the thyroid. I've cured my Hashimoto's before we met. You've mm-hmm. cured yours. Uh, but I have to say, like, yours is the most researched book I've ever seen, and it's also an easy read. And one of the things in there, like, there's all sorts of stuff that I kind of, I usually know all the weird stuff. But you know more weird stuff than I do. Like, oh, talk about you. cigarette smoking and Hashimoto's that's <clears throat> in the book. You blew me away when you told me that. You know, that's really interesting. And the title of the book, it's like the longest title on the whole entire planet. It's mm-hmm. like Hashimoto's Lifestyle Interventions for Finding and Treating the Root Cause. So we just and, call it Hashimoto's the Root Cause. And you found, and you hit the New York Times with that title. We did, yeah. That's yeah. badass, okay. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> very unexpected, very unexpected. But they're like, that was the longest title. And so, um, you know, with cigarettes, it's actually interesting because... They did a study in, um, there's a, this Dutch endocrinologist that's mm-hmm. kind of like a guru in, in all of the research in Hashimoto's. And he was trying to look at things that can prevent Hashimoto's. And one of the things that he found was that smoking cigarettes actually prevents Hashimoto's. So people who, you will see that people who actually quit smoking are going to have higher rates of Hashimoto's than people who are current smokers. And you think, you know, that's so backwards because smoking is horrible for everything. Yet for Hashimoto's, it can be protective and, um, and drinking as well. So drinking and smoking has been found to be protective of Hashimoto's. And in Poland, we have this saying called, <laughs> which is um, he who drinks and smokes does not get bugs. Wow. And um, one of the theories with Hashimoto's is basically that it can be induced by a pathogenic infection. And sure. so through molecular mimicry where, you know, your body thinks that is trying to attack the pathogen, and there's something on the pathogen that looks similar to your thyroid gland. So perhaps, you know, smoking may be, um, the tobacco may be poisoning not just you, but some of these other unfriendly visitors that you Mm -hmm. have, as well as drinking. Of course, not that we're recommending that, but we do see higher rates when people actually are are quitting smoking. You see a higher incidence rate of Hashimoto's, and perhaps that's what's responsible in some people for the weight gain. So check this out. If you're a smoker, and a lot of people listening to Bulletproof Radio, let's face it, you're probably not a smoker. Right, right. <laughs> and if you are, you feel guilty about it at least. Uh, because we know that there's overwhelming evidence that it's bad for you. There's also really good evidence about Hashimoto's, which you taught me about, and also about like oxygen levels in the brain. Mm-hmm. So uh, nicotinic acid, essentially nicotine, is a smart drug, right? And so there are people who self-medicate because they're having problems with oxygen in the brain mm-hmm. and you can now get nicotine without smoking mm-hmm. and my belief is that this will be considered like a smart drug like this is something that that has benefits yes nicotine is addictive so is water right? mm-hmm. depending on how you, <laughs> like, yeah, right. you die without it <laughs> but, forming. right as a pharmacist like am i a crazy person for saying that maybe you might want to take a milligram of nicotine every now and then for your brain or for oxygen or for things like that you know, I think it can be helpful for some people with um, with Hashimoto's. What they found is there's um, an alkaloid in the mm-hmm. in tobacco, and it's, it's anadabine that can be very, very helpful. And it, it, you know, one of the things that I think it does it helps to detoxify um, LPS. So LPS is something that is produced by our gram-negative bacteria, and, and and it basically produces a lot of inflammation in our bodies. So when you eat the wrong foods or you have the wrong bacteria in your gut, the bacteria make lipopolysaccharide, which is a yeah. a, a poison that mm-hmm. soaks in through your gut lining, mm-hmm. hits the liver, hits the brain. Mm-hmm. And so you're saying tobacco can has this anatabine, which can protect you from it. And you can take supplements with anatabine in it. They're hard to find, but you can do that, right? You know they took them off the market. Oh, those bastards. I know, I know. You who took them off the market. We're watching you. We know. Mm-hmm. All right, so I have a stash, though, at home. So. Do you? <laughs> Yeah, I, but I yeah, they took own, them off the market. I grow my I... own tobacco in the garden. Like we, we grow all of our own food now uh, at my house, which is cool. I don't actually smoke tobacco, but you can like soak it in water or alcohol and make uh, bug spray out of it because nicotine kills bugs. So I have like racks mm-hmm. of dried tobacco that are probably cured poorly, and I wouldn't know because I don't really smoke. Mm-hmm. But can I use like should I be like taking a little bit of that somehow to get some mm. anti? I don't know about that. You know, they actually one of the reasons they took it off the market uh-huh. is because it's not um, 
it's not a straight up extract of a plant. They actually synthesize it in a lab. So that was one of the claims that the FDA made against this company. They basically were saying the company was making drug-like claims for a supplement. Well, and that's because so, supplements work like drugs, right? Some of them do, but you can't... I'm just asking a just, pharmacist. I'm yeah, not saying I mine mean, do that because mine are just supplements. They have no drug effects. You cannot heal anything with anything I make, just for anyone listening, all right? Right, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, some, some supplements are drugs in other countries. Yeah. So take that for whatever it is, right? So yeah, so a lot of supplements they do have profound pharmacological effects. I mean, mm -hmm. that just makes sense, right? So they have, um, they can bind receptors very tightly and they can turn things on and turn things off. And they're not necessarily going to be regulated as drugs. With anatabine, they actually had studies that showed um, that anatabine was reducing thyroid antibodies wow. and reducing a lot of inflammation for a subset of people, not everybody, but some people did really, really well with it. And, you know, I think they had a John Hopkins researcher on one of those studies wow. and they ended up, pulling it off of the market. And I think the company, the last I looked at their press release, they were looking at making it into a drug and getting it through the whole process. Wow. It, we'll see. It's kind of a, a painful thing because if you make a really effective supplement, you're not allowed to say what it does because then it might be a drug and then you're looking at at least like $10 million to take something that already works. Even if you have studies on it, you have to go through this incredible rigmarole and then it ends up costing a lot of money and being mixed with like weird chemicals to become a, a drug versus something that was like available in your garden inside tobacco. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's a tough thing um, just at, at, for consumers because costs go way up and you might, like I have Hashimoto's now, I don't want to wait 10 years for something to reach you know, this meandering approval process if it would help process. me now. Absolutely. Yeah, mm -hmm. and you know, there's so many things out there that are really, really helpful like N-acetylcysteine can be very very helpful for Hashimoto's and a lot of different a lot of different compounds but you can't really make if you're somebody that's selling them you really can't make any claims about it so it's it's almost like people have to do their own research and hack themselves to yeah. to try to figure out what's working for them and it's very hard to find it's a complex thing and I, I get this question a lot you do too I think from mm -hmm. people who who read your materials where they're like, okay, what, what can I trust? What can I not trust? Because everyone knows tobacco is bad for you. But wait, nicotine could be helpful and right. an anatabine could be helpful. And there's probably some other antioxidant-based things in there that, are, that we just don't know about. Uh, but you know, heaven forbid anyone do anything with you know, tobacco because that's a highly regulated substance. So let's say that someone's like, all right, I'm smoking uh, or I'm chewing mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not going to be able to access all the science or all the chemicals in my tobacco because there's laws against that. But I want to quit smoking and I don't want to get Hashimoto's. What would you tell them to do? Definitely get on some antioxidants. So selenium is something that's been found to reduce thyroid antibodies by a great amount. Um, it helps to um, reduce the oxidative stress that occurs when thyroid hormones are produced. So that can be very, very helpful. Um, N-acetylcysteine is another thing that I like to recommend. So it's actually a pretty high dosage. You want to do something like 900 to 1,800 milligrams of that with food mm -hmm. um, to help you along with that. Is that because of glutathione production? Exactly, okay. exactly. So that's actually a glutathione precursor, and mm -hmm. that turns into glutathione in the body, and, and a lot of people have found that to be very, very helpful and helps okay. them detoxify, um, making sure you're, you're doing a zinc supplement. Oh, let's pause for one second. For people listening, if you haven't heard of glutathione, and glutathione is the primary antioxidant detoxing chemical in your liver. And I do make a glutathione product that's orally absorbable. But the idea here is by increase, increasing levels of that, you can just help yourself maintain healthy detox levels and things like that. So NAC, which we're talking about, N-acetylcysteine, is a compound that's a precursor to glutathione. So you can take vitamin C plus N-acetylcysteine or maybe also alpha-lipoic acid. And these things can combine in your liver to naturally manufacture more or you can take an external source. The holy grail for this stuff, and something that I do whenever I get a chance, is intravenous. You can actually get a, a quick injection of glutathione, which raises levels, makes you feel great for days. If I fly like across the country and I'm gonna get on some TV show or something, I always stop off and I get a, a glutathione injection because it, it really, really changes how you feel. And it doesn't matter how strong you are, when you get more glutathione, it makes you stronger and more resilient. So that's what we're talking about, if that's a new term for you. Sorry, yeah, it, kind of a quick aside there, but some people just haven't heard of all these chemicals. And it's quite an amazing feeling when you when you actually get glutathione into your system. So. Do you, have you done a glutathione IV? I have done that before. Um, you know, it's more convenient to take it as a pill, obviously. A lot more, so. yeah. 
so yeah, and then um, the liposome, liposomal glutathione can be very, very effective as well. But you have to make sure you get a really high quality supplement, like the kind you make. Otherwise, oh, thank you. You, oh, you don't have to plug the Bulger stuff. Well, I'll do that for you. Okay. No. <laughs> well, I was going to say other because um, some of the other people can get glutathione supplements that are just not going to be effective. Oh, the, just the the pills. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that was something that I used to do when I first started, like ten plus years ago, working with glutathione. Like you take the pills, they get digested, and then you just essentially they get some work. sulfur, and they don't do anything. Yep. And then you have liposomes where they can absorb in the oral mucosa. And then mm-hmm. you have what we're doing, which is a pharmaceutical process. So it absorbs in the mucosa and in the gut, which mm-hmm. is why we talk about like five times better absorption. But um, it's, it's one of those things where it's complex. And delivery systems end up being as important as the molecule for almost every supplement. In fact, I want to talk to you about that. I, we, literally, we just decided a few minutes ago, oh, my God, we're in the same town. We're, we're like hanging out. We have to do another podcast. Everyone on earth talks about, at least everyone in supplements, I'm probably realizing, mm-hmm. you know, oh, you know, there's, there's tablets and I don't like swallowing tablets and they're crunchy and they don't absorb very well. Mm-hmm. They've been called bedpan bullets because they pass all the way through people in hospitals. But then we have all these different capsule materials for making capsules. So you're like a pro in pills because you're a licensed pharmacist. Mm-hmm. So what is the deal with all the binding agents on these things? Should we worry about magnesium stearate? Should we have vegetarian capsules? Do we have gelatin capsules? Like, give me the download. You know, it just really depends on the person. And, and I highly recommend doing like very high quality supplement brands yeah. because if you're, if you're going to be going to like a Walmart and picking up the supplements on that shelf, then your chances are they're not going to be one in the active usable form. So a lot of times they're yeah. going to be kind of the cheap versions. Then they're going to put supplements together that can compete for absorbing right. with each other. And a lot of times they'll put fillers. So some dif- some different fillers are not going to be properly absorbed by people, and they can prevent you from actually breaking down the supplement. So you know some people will see um, will see you know capsules in their poop, and they'll they won't actually digest their um, supplements correctly and break de- break them down into usable parts. So you always want to go with something that's hypoallergenic and that's very low on any kinds of fillers. So is magnesium stearate an okay filler? You know, I know there's, it's a controversial topic. <laughs> um, for me, I don't think it's as big of an issue as people make out we're, of it. We're in alignment on that one. Um, magnesium stearate is basically made from stearic acid, one of the most common fatty acids mm-hmm. uh, that are, that's out there. And I, I know a thing or two about fatty acids because we make brain octane, and, and like it's an important part of my own healing was getting mm-hmm. the right amounts of fat and the right types of fat. Mm-hmm. And so you look at this stuff and you're like, okay, is it harmful? And the couple studies that say it's harmful are like, if you drowned in it, it's harmful. There's so much involved at the amounts we, we do. I don't really use it in, in the vast majority of my products, but sometimes to make it so you can swallow it, you just have to put something in there like that. Or it's going to cost um, customers two or three times as much with no benefit. Mm-hmm. And I, I try to respect the pocketbook of people. I, I never make something more expensive than it needs to be to work. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm always looking at delivery systems. So that's one thing. You don't think magnesium stearate is particularly harmful. I don't either. And right. there is debate on that. Like that's totally uh, like a clear thing. So like, please, if you're listening to this, you want to go to YouTube and like, you know, yell at me for saying magnesium stearate is in the doses we use is probably safe. It's okay. You can yell at me. It's all right. Like we're acknowledging there's debate, but I'm on that side of the debate, which makes me a bad person or not. I, I don't know. <laughs> it shouldn't make anyone a person uh, or not. But what, uh, okay. Now let's say that we have, you're going to take some vitamin C. And we have in this hand, vitamin C and MHCP, vegetarian capsules. And in this hand, we have gelatin capsules. Which one are you going to take? Hmm. I actually don't know that answer. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. This is really funny. I like chewable capsules for, I like chewable vitamin or I, I, I do chewable or I put it in um, like the powder form from, um, you know, from food sources. So chewable or powder form, okay. Yeah. So with ascorbic acid, vitamin C, if you chew it, it'll take the enamel off your teeth. So we'd have to buffer it with some, oh, yeah. with some uh, baking soda, and then it would be froth at the mouth, and mm-hmm. it wouldn't be so attractive. But I don't but, take that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so the reason I'm asking here is there are a group of people, oh, it has to be a vegetarian capsule, and then some people say that's bad. My perspective, and I'm just sharing this with people listening, because believe it or not, like this matters. You're going to spend 50 bucks on a bottle of some kind mm-hmm. of, supplement that's going to give you a, a noticeable benefit. And if you don't feel it, maybe it's also benefiting you because you have the lab data that you don't feel. Whatever it is, 50 bucks is 50 bucks. 
you could make an optimal decision. You're going to swallow the pill and choice A, choice B. And, and my whole perspective on the bulletproof thing is like, look, you, you had to do something. You might as well do the thing that didn't take any more effort that gave you a little bit more benefit mm-hmm. or caused less damage. So there's like a damage avoidance, uh, like avoid small amounts of toxins that don't make you stronger. Like it's just smart. So to make that decision right, I've, I've looked at this a lot and I came down to this basic conclusion. MHCP, which is the stuff vegetarian capsules are made mm-hmm. out of, is probably good for you and certainly not harmful. At the same time, gelatin, which other capsules are made from, is also not bad for you and probably good for you. In fact, I make collagen gelatin, which mm-hmm. uses grass-fed gelatin, much higher quali- quantities of it. But the gelatin capsule, it might not be made from grass-fed gelatin, but it doesn't matter. You're taking like a quarter of, I don't know, like maybe 100 milligrams worth of gelatin. It's so tiny that it's unlikely to have any effect on you at all. So I don't really care, and they both break down in water easily. But I would also say if you have a choice between a pressed tablet and a capsule in either flavor, you should always take the capsule because you're probably going to have more absorption. Mm-hmm. But I'm not a pharmacist, which is why I'm asking you, <laughs> because you might have like great insights on other kinds of, of delivery systems. You like powders and chewables. Why? Um, because they get broken down. So you want the salivary uh, enzymes mm-hmm. to start working on the stuff? Right, yeah. Okay. So you don't have to. Some people may have deficiencies in enzymes as things go down, so they may not be prop, They may not be able to properly break down the tablets um, until they get to a, a different type part of the body. Okay. So, so yeah. So I like for vitamin C, but yeah, definitely. Now I understand. I'm sorry. I don't think I understood what you were asking, but oh. yeah, definitely. You know, whether they're veggie caps or gel caps, that doesn't make a difference. Okay. Yeah. And, and so for okay. anything, but you know, it's possible there's some autoimmune thing, but for gelatin versus uh, essentially vegetable gelatin like stuff. I don't know of any allergy things going on there unless maybe it's you know a bovine gelatin and you're allergic to to beef gelatin. It's not impossible. But that, that would be pretty rare. Yeah. yeah. That would be something pretty rare. Um, yeah, what I get concerned about is like, you know, when people have like gluten or different types of fillers or they have lactose or something like that into mm-hmm. in their supplements, because that can even tiny amounts can can really affect the person and yeah. their ability to extract the contents of the supplement if, if they're sensitive to that because that, that'll just cause more inflammation and prevent you from absorbing it. It's amazing. As I work on um, some new formulas, I have some new supplement stuff. Um, I, I only want to make things that I can't buy somewhere else because if there's something perfectly good on the market, like you might as well just get that. Absolutely. Um, and a lot of the formulators I work with, and a lot of people don't know this, but what you do is you're like, okay, here's the idea, here's the chemistry, but mm-hmm. to take the chemistry and the idea and then to bring it forth to actually manufacture it like there's a lot of steps in there. So you work with formulators who can help you identify the companies that can do the steps mm-hmm. so that you can like bring this this idea to light. It's mm-hmm. a lot like writing software or developing some other product. Like like it's it all these things have to come together in the right order at the right time in order to mm-hmm. get something that works. And it's it's actually way more fun than writing software. <laughs> uh, but in order to do that, you, you do all this research, and I'm constantly working with, uh, with formulators where it's like, okay, here's what we want to do, here's the characteristics, here's the technology, and then they're like, oh, look, I put sodium caseinate in there, which is a form of casein which triggers dairy allergies, especially in people right, with Hashimoto's, right. and then tons of other people don't know it. And you're like, really? Like, did you not, like, look at any of, and I sort of just want to pull my hair out. But I think when I go back to Silicon Valley software times, it's like, oh, you didn't document your code. Like, oh, you just you, you wrote it in a sloppy way. And I'm hoping that there'll be changes there. But that's on supplements. Mm-hmm. When you look at in the you know if you were working at a pharmacy still and you were to look at the package insert on drugs, mm-hmm. how often do you find these binders like that you wouldn't allow in a supplement? So very commonly, a lot of times you'll have a lot of. Uh, additives in medications mm-hmm. like colorings that should not be there that can set off a lot of reactions in people um, you know some people will see a lot of people who are sensitive to thyroid medications because of the colorings in them oh, you'll wow. have lactose in some of the thyroid medications and some people will be sensitive to the lactose containing ingredient and then you'll see gluten which is a big deal um, there's potential for cross-reactivity. And yeah, you know, I would highly recommend everybody check out, there's a website called glutenfreemeds.com mm-hmm. where you can look for um, your medications to make sure they're gluten-free. Or a lot of times, you know, sometimes, so sometimes people will be taking a medication and they'll have a lot of, they'll be on a great gluten-free diet, but they still won't be getting better. 
and it'll be actually gluten in the medications. Wow. So sometimes you may need to work with a compounding pharmacist to get the medications compounded for you. Um, one of the things that I found with compounded medications is there's a few different fillers that you can use. One of them is known as methicel, and that can cause, um, it, it's a suspended release version where it can suspend, suspend the release of the medication over time. And a lot of people with gut issues may not be able to properly absorb that filler. So a lot of times you'll see people when they take a sup, uh, medication containing methicel, they may not absorb any of it. So just knowing the different fillers and always asking you know, your pharmacist or looking at your supplements or asking for the package insert to see what fillers are in there is going to be a great start. If you're, you know, if you're taking a medication, if you're taking a supplement, you're not getting the results that you want. Let's talk about compounding pharmacies for a little while, because mm-hmm. you and I know what they are, but I'm guessing that like 80% of people listening right now are like, what's a compounding pharmacy? Uh, because unless you have an alternative or a functional medicine kind of kind of doctor, you probably never had a script from one. Mm-hmm. What is a compounding pharmacy? Oh, you know, compounding pharmacies are really, really great. When you walk into a compounding pharmacy, you immediately will feel like you're being transferred, transported back into like the 1930s when when pharmacists used to make most of their medications from scratch. And and that's what a compounding pharmacy is. It's basically customized dosages, customized formulations, and customized medications that may not be commercially available that these pharmacists are making from scratch for a doctor's order for a specific patient. So it's really quite neat because you can get a lot of drugs that are not FDA approved. So for for orphan conditions or off-label conditions that you may not have access to, uh, you know, one of my favorite sources of knowledge is compounding pharmacists because they just have so many cool secret protocols that you can um, find out about. I've learned a lot from compounding pharmacists as well. And was that something that you practiced or that you you sort of paid attention to in your pharmacy training? I, I don't. I, I know that most pharmacists in the West are like, blah. We don't like compound pharmacists. They're like competition for some reason. Uh, and I'm not sure why there's what's called bad blood. You know, it's, it's very old school. So they're trying to move, pharmacists are trying to move away from dispensing medications. They want to provide more patient education and things like that. And, and they want to do more of the, you know, medication management rather than the medication dispensing. So they're kind of like, oh, that's old school. You know, we're, we're doing other things now. But yeah, I was actually very lucky because I had um, courses in compounding and pharmacy school as well as rotations. Oh, cool. And so um, most pharmacists nowadays will not have had that exposure. So I, I've worked a lot with compounding pharmacists, just as I have historically on my own health. And it, it's kind of amazing. You go in there and like, oh yeah, we could make that. So they're like buying raw materials and they do stuff that is that is really, really neat and that you just can't buy. And it's not that hard mm-hmm. to do what they're doing um, in that you don't need like, you know, a giant $200 million manufacturing facility to make some of these things. It's oftentimes just very careful dosing mm-hmm. and doing things like, you know, thyroid can be compounded. Mm-hmm. And when you do that sort of thing, if they do it right, uh, it can be more absorbable and more beneficial and avoid the bad things. Uh, so I've, I've had great luck with it. And it can also be a problem. Like one time I had, uh, I don't know if it was a filling mistake. Mm. Uh, I, I think it was actually just like a, a paperwork mistake, oh, not no. that they filled it wrong. But it's kind of funny. It's thyroid related. Drug we're, air. we're talking yeah. about like if your thyroid is off. Yeah. It's kind of a funny story. I just thought of it. Uh, this is a couple of years ago. Uh, I went to something called Summit Outside. This is the, the Summit series in, in Utah and Powder Mountain. Oh, yeah, yeah, Powder Mountain. And it was like one of the coolest things I've, I've ever done. They had a, a table um, set for 800 people in a meadow, this long table. And just by random chance, I got to sit at the head of the table uh, with the CEO of connect.com and my friend Anima. And we're, uh, we're sitting there just like looking down the table. And it was just like something you'll never do again. It, it, was, it was crazy. And part of that was you're staying up late. They had like a full stage with like dancing. And, and I, had, I had vodka, which is like the cleanest alcohol. And so I was up late partying three nights at like 9,000 feet elevation. Kind of inflammatory. And I flew straight to San Francisco. And I did a photo shoot for Creative Live where I have a course on Bulletproof stuff. And part of that was they wanted me to hold um, plank pose, essentially like like an inch off the floor, on the Bulletproof Vibe. So 30 times a second, I'm vibrating, holding this crazy position. Take the picture. And I'm like, for God's sake. But they, they just were like diddling with the cameras. And if anyone's tried that, that is a really strenuous exercise. Mm-hmm. And then I flew home. So it was, it was not biologically a good thing. I was taking my glutathione mm-hmm. and everything else, but you can only do so much, especially with alcohol and altitude. And... 
my thyroid had been overfilled. So I was getting more thyroid than I wanted. So the day after I get back, I'm like, I'm having some weird chest pain. Mm-hmm. Now, the chest pain came from the rib heads in my sternum being irritated by vibrating for like way longer than any sane person would do these exercises. So I'm getting pain here that was really strong pain. And then my wife, Dr. Lana, the ER physician, listens to my heartbeat and she's like, oh, you got a couple skipped beats. Like that's not so Uh-oh. good because of the thyroid meds, right? Overactive yeah. thyroid will do that. So I'm feeling a little bit anxious. I have chest pain and I have skipping heartbeats. And like, what would you do if someone had that? You know, I would definitely recommend that they have their thyroid labs tested to mm-hmm. make sure that they're not overdosed on their medications. Right. But with chest pain, and it's like, oh, look, like today I feel like crap. I have chest pain and skipping heartbeats. Normally you like go to the emergency room, right? Oh, definitely. If it was like a, <laughs> if it was a person who was, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. so that's what I did. And like, we'll go to the emergency room and get an EKG. And they're like, there's nothing wrong. We don't see anything. Like, but I had skipped heartbeats just this morning. Well, I take my thyroid meds in the morning. So we figured it out the second day. When it happened again, I'm like, my heart's racing, I feel bad. And then we realized, yeah, I was, okay, so this is unrelated symptoms. And these unrelated symptoms, though, can be really weird. And that's the problem with Hashimoto's or with any kind of thyroid condition. It's like it affects the core of who you are because the amount of energy that you have, and if it's too much, you're like, oh, my God. And if it's too little, it's also like everything is hard or everything is stressful. what are some other nutritional things though, that people might do to just, even if they don't have Hashimoto's, but just to keep their thyroids healthy? So, you do? so from a food perspective, definitely gluten-free, dairy-free. So um, we did have a remission story with the Bulletproof diet. The other diets that people oh, find did? very, cool. very helpful are going to be like the paleo diet, mm-hmm. autoimmune paleo diet, looking at removing the reactive foods. So a lot of times people with Hashimoto's will have multiple food sensitivities. And they don't know it, right? They just don't know it. Mm-hmm. So my, my biggest one was dairy and gluten, and I had like acid reflux, and I had all these like joint pains and um, IBS and whole bunch of, whole mess of symptoms. And basically people, you know, I, I usually, I did a survey of 2,232 of my readers, and 88% of them reported feeling better on a gluten-free diet. Wow. There were 12 that didn't see a difference, but, you know, we're actually working with a statistician to kind of look at what were the reasons why those 12% didn't get better maybe you know, some people actually need to be off of more than just gluten to feel better. So that's what I, where I usually start people is looking at getting your, um, you know, your diet optimized. So eating a nutrient-dense diet that has plenty of good fats, plenty of really great sources of protein. So, you know, I don't recommend um, doing anything like soy or anything, um, you know, that can be inflammatory to the thyroid gland. Um, and that's a really, really great start for most people. Some people you, get... What if you don't... So if you don't have any symptoms and, and you start doing things, is that likely to be protective? Is that going to support you better? You know, absolutely. Okay. So if you have a family history of Hashimoto's, which a lot of people may do, so that puts you at greater risk of it. So especially if you have, um, you know, like your kids, having a male relative with Hashimoto's is going to put them at greater risk um, than having a female relative. And it's much more common in, in women than it is in men. So putting them preventatively on a gluten-free, dairy-free diet is going to be very, very helpful. Making sure that people have enough selenium on board. Um, Selenium is one of the most important nutrients within the thyroid gland. Vitamin D levels, so having low levels of vitamin D have been implicated in just about every autoimmune condition. And recent study, recent paper came out on the correlation between vitamin D levels and Hashimoto's um, severity and and whether or not you, you move into hypothyroid. So you definitely want to make sure that your vitamin D levels are optimized. And my clients that go into remission, you know, every, every one of them has had really good vitamin D levels. And every one of them at the beginning does not. So that's something that we really need to work on. B12 levels is, is another common deficiency in Hashimoto's. Looking at ferritin. So ferritin is the iron storage protein. That is super, super important for thyroid function. And that's going to be commonly depleted in Hashimoto's and getting that to a good level is going to be helpful for symptoms, for prevention, as well as for getting into remission. Those are the big things I look at um, from a testing perspective, as far as, you know, just taking supplements, you know, magnesium can be very, very helpful. The selenium can be very helpful. Um, Thiamine is a B vitamin that um, a lot of people with fatigue, with thyroid related fatigue or any kind of, you know, um, I recently had somebody with celiac disease or Crohn's disease where they're doing all the right things. They're on the right diet. They're, you know, gluten-free, dairy-free, and they're still, for some reason, fatigued. Taking a thiamine supplement can be a huge difference. 
So thiamine can be helpful in helping us um, regulate our blood pressure and regulating our um, ability to tolerate carbohydrates and definitely energy levels. The key is to actually take a higher level of thiamine. So usually the RDA is going to be pretty low, um, and you're looking at taking somewhere around 600 milligrams of thiamine. So quite a lot. And within three days, that can really turn fatigue around. So there's Uh-oh. a few studies that have been done on that, and I've had... Um, yeah, I've had quite a few success stories with just the use of thiamine where you're like, okay, I'm doing my diet right. Um, you know, being on a grain-free diet and gluten-free diet can actually deplete you of thiamine. So that's something that we'll see when people keep struggling where they'll have, you know, I'm on the right diet, I'm doing everything well, but my adrenals are still shot and my thyroid's still shot and I'm still tired. What, what more do I need to do? And, and sometimes it's as easy as taking a thiamine supplement. So so those are really, really important things, making sure you have enough micronutrients on board. Um, I already mentioned zinc a little bit earlier, but that's an important one to, to consider because it helps with a lot, of, um, a lot of thyroid function, conversion of thyroid hormone to the more active version. And um, yeah, so gut function. So these are all things that are pretty basic but not a lot of people are getting them. So it's some, you know, your basic okay. vitamins. I've got two more kind of short questions for you before we run out of time. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is that um, I've had a bunch of people uh, after they start drinking Bulletproof coffee, um, just say that, that they need to lower their thyroid medication. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's, it's pretty fast. Mm-hmm. And is there some, something that you would know about as a pharmacist where that would explain why that is? Is it just increases in healthy fat? Is it like a mitochondrial thing? Like why would, would someone, when they make a dietary change to include more fat and more of the, like the brain octane oil, mm-hmm. which is an unusual kind of fat, or coffee, like why would they need less thyroid meds? Or is that just random? I, like I'm not claiming the Bulletproof Coffee does that. I'm just like right. several people have asked me about this, so I lowered it and I felt, I lowered my thyroid meds and I felt better. So would they, I guess my question for them would be, were they on a different coffee, coffee before? Um, that's, an, that's a very interesting question. So most of them were on a different coffee before. So it might be like avoiding something that's pissing off their, um, their immune system. Hmm. What, like, like what could that be? <laughs> so yeah, that, there could be some toxins in the coffee. So there are some okay. coffees that are cross-reactive with gluten and yeah. they've been tested to, to mm-hmm. be with that. So some people will drink um, you know, well, the there's pork. only one coffee that's been tested. It, I, I checked. It was instant coffee, which is right. one of the molds. In fact, even in Europe, instant coffee is allowed to be moldy, like right. way more moldy than European normal coffee. And in the U.S., there's no standards at all, so we know it's moldy. So it was moldy coffee that was tested. Okay. So potentially if they were drinking that kind of coffee and they switched to a high-quality coffee like Bulletproof, then they would okay. no longer had that cross-reactive issue. So lack of toxins meant they might mm-hmm. need less thyroid meds. The, okay. the other question would be asking them if they had, um, you know, potentially any kinds of, um, you know, any kinds of history of Epstein-Barr virus okay. or any history of yeast overgrowth. So Epstein-Barr virus can be a potential root cause of Hashimoto's. Mm-hmm. And we do know that, you know, coconut oil, MCT oil can be helpful with breaking down the viral coating. So that can help our bodies attack and right. take care of the virus better. Okay. So potentially that could be um, something that the MCT oil may have okay. helped with. And specifically brain octane has a... a um, that that subset of MCT, which because some MCTs don't even like metabolize the same way mm-hmm. as that stuff, but um, the brain octane has strong antifungal effects as well. Mm-hmm. So if you have candida yeast going on, which um, can be a root cause, that, so that could, that could be what's triggering their immune system to attack the thyroid. Right. Would be the yeast itself, or yeah, or okay. the Epstein Barr virus. Okay. So it does have some um, antiviral properties, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I'm from there's some studies about that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no studies of my products like that. None of your products, but <laughs> just in general. So that could be one reason. And then okay. I would also ask them if it was something that they saw on test results. So if they actually became clinically hyperthyroid, or if they just felt better, because some people may just take thyroid medications to symptoms. Okay. And in that case, you know, getting more energy for sure okay. would be helping them to reduce their thyroid medications. Some people just take them because they feel tired. So, you know, there, there could be a couple of different root causes. And I always like to look at, you know, what's changed and looking at all of the different variables to determine, okay, okay which, one is cause, which one is helping, which one is harming, which one, what's the most probable root cause and what's the okay. most probable solution and heck that's helping. There's one last question, and you already answered it, but I'm going to ask it again because you'll probably answer it differently. 
given all the stuff we talked about and all the other stuff that you know, and like you've led a really interesting life, what are your three most important pieces of advice for people who want to perform better? So it doesn't have to be thyroid or anything else like that, but like if you want to kick ass, do these three things. You know, one is be a rebel. So don't do what everybody else says. Do what you want to do. So if so, don't let people tell you that you need to have a specific job, that you need to do something health-wise. Listen to yourself, listen to your body, and just be a rebel and, and honor yourself. Be who you want to be. Um, the other one is from my brother, who his name's Robert. He's a big fan of um, your oh. show. Hi, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> so um, his thing is he's an engineer, and he's always working on himself and working on cars and always engineering things. And he says, you know, Sometimes you have to just put the hood down and drive. So we can be doing a lot of self-improvement work, and we just um, sometimes we can get stuck in that, but sometimes you just need to put the hood down and drive and enjoy what you have. So I know a lot of um, biohackers and, and your followers in the Bulletproof Diet are super into that, and, and you know, just taking pride in what you've come to, what you've accomplished, celebrating your successes. So um, you know, I work with people who've been sick for a very long time, and they have a laundry list of symptoms, but... You know, when you get rid of two symptoms and you only have 10 left, celebrate that. Yeah. Put the hood down, you know, do a little driving and enjoy your shiny new car, or, you know, enjoy that. And, you know, with, with increased performance, celebrate those successes. Um, so that's probably number two. And then number three, I, I'm going to keep as the same. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, just find somebody as, cra as crazy as you are because helping you support your passions and somebody who has the same passions as you or similar passions so that you can grow together. So if you're looking for a life partner, make sure they're just as passionate, as crazy as you are, because that'll make your life so much more rewarding and you, happy. You definitely pulled that last one off. So oh, Yeah, definitely. Now, thank you for being on Bulletproof Radio. Tell everyone the name of your book, that incredible mouthful of a title that it is, uh, as well as your URL so people can find out about you. You're really knowledgeable, and your background as a pharmacist, I think, really lends something to just the whole conversation online, because a lot of people don't, don't have that background. They're either physicians or coaches of some sort, um, but you have a, a unique perspective and a lot of good research. So book and URL. So it's Hashimoto's Thyroiditis, Lifestyle Interventions for Finding and Treating the Root Cause. <laughs> And then, <laughs> and then my website is thyroidpharmacist.com, so that's pretty easy and short. All right, and Isabella Wentz, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much, Dave. It was a pleasure. If you like today's show, you know what to do. Check out Isabella's work and just look at it. It's totally, totally worth your time to read about this. And I guarantee you that if you're sitting in a room and you look to your left, you look to your right, and there's at least four people there, the odds are pretty high that one of those four has... Hashimoto's and probably doesn't know it. This is one of those things where the incidence is so big that it's worth understanding. And even if you don't have it, even if you have limitless energy and effortless energy all the time, which is pretty rare these days, you're going to be able to help someone else when they talk about this. So like, there's not a lot of downside to learning about something that's as common as one in four people. If it's one in a thousand, that's pretty specialized, but we're talking about huge swaths of the population. So thanks for listening. And use this knowledge to help yourself or help someone else, and that's what you can do. It all starts with your website. Bulletproofexec.com is where I started. The website's immensely important to Bulletproof because that's how we help millions of people every month. Growing your business starts with a stunning website. No matter what business you're in, Wix.com will have something to help you create a kick-ass website. Wix.com is a cloud-based development platform that's used by more than 70 million people throughout the world. You can do it yourself, you don't need to be a programmer or designer, and they have hundreds of designer-made customizable templates to choose from. There are easy drag-and-drop features with no coding needed, and you can get your website live today. With mobile optimization, secure hosting, SEO, 24-7 support, and more to help you build your company the way I did. It's easy, and the result is stunning. Also, check out the stories on WIX.com to see real success stories of people who've used Wix to build great websites. Go to Wix.com and sign up for an entirely free account today, no credit cards required. That's Wix.com, W-I-X.com. Check them out today. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. 
The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.